when COVID first happened, the um, pool where I swim got shut down because they wanted to keep kids safe and they weren't sure how they were going to do that. I'm a part of a master swim team, which is like swimming for old people. Uh, and we use the same pool that my kids use to go to their swim practice. <clears throat> and so eventually they reopened the pool for the kids, but they did it in such a way that the kids, um, they kind of split all the practice groups apart and had very few people in each lane. And so basically, they uh, ended up having kids using the pool the entire day because they had split the practice groups up and there were more of them then. And so my program, even though the pool had re reopened, my program, the master's program, we were unable to return to swim practice. Well, with the start of school, they've been, and some new things they've learned about COVID and how to keep kids safe, they've been able to condense it down a little bit. The upshot is that I have been able to get back in the pool and go to swim practice again and when I did this for the first time about two weeks ago, it was the first time I had been in a pool for a swim practice in six months. And even though I had been exercising, I was shocked at how painful it was for me trying to get back into shape for swimming. And so I've been doing this for the last two weeks and it's, it's only gotten marginally better. It's actually, tell you the truth, uh, still really, hard and so the question that i have been asking myself and i'm sure many of you ask yourself when you're this question when you're getting ready to go for a run or workout is why am i doing this why am i going to the pool the water is cold it's time consuming i gotta drive there i gotta swim i gotta shower and i gotta come back it's in the middle of my day is the only time that we have time so i have to go in the middle of the day i feel awful while i'm doing it so I've been thinking, why am I doing this? Maybe I should just, this is, I've had six months off, I'm out of shape. Maybe I should just call it quits on swimming. So I'm not actually competing in any meets either. So it's not like there's some race I'm preparing for. And so as I've been kind of processing, why do I do this? Why am I going to swim practice? It's helped me kind of reevaluate, like what's my purpose or what's my goal um, in training and, and swimming is nice because it's low impact on the joints and it helps me stay healthy. So for me, my, I'm not doing triathlons, I'm not doing swim meets. So my goal in exercising, I'm sure this is a goal for many of you, is just to stay healthy. So I've got some heart issues that you know about that happened for me this summer and so I want to keep my heart healthy. I want to be able to play with my kids like bending down and picking them up or running around and doing stuff with them. And uh, if I don't exercise regularly, my back starts to hurt, so I can't do that. I've also noticed that exercising helps with stress and anxiety. Um, and so there's all these reasons that it helps me stay healthy. And so as I've processed this, I don't want to go. The pool is cold. I feel terrible. It takes time out of my day. I'm reminding myself, this helps me stay healthy. This short-term thing that I do not want to do I endure it because there's a longer term goal that I really, really want to achieve. And swimming helps me achieve that goal. And in our passage for today that Chris just read, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is using the same analogy. He is talking about training and describing the way that you, the work that you and I have to do in our spiritual lives. In the same way that I have to engage in regular exercise to stay physically fit. Paul is saying you and I have to do some training in our spiritual life 
as well. And the emphasis that Paul is making has to do with keeping before us this goal or this prize. So we do our spiritual training because of some goal or some prize in front of us that we can only attain through training. And so the implication of this passage, the question that Paul is asking you is, what do you want to achieve that you need to train for to get there? What do you want out of your spiritual life that requires some training or some practices or some work? If you're new here or you're watching us for the first time online, we're in this sermon series called Learning the Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And this is a part of our logo rollout where our new tagline is, this is kind of what we do. This is our our orienting kind of guide that we exist as a community to learn the unforced rhythms of grace together. Guides everything that we do. Comes from this passage in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And in week one, we talked about how you and I all have this resistance to grace. So, peculiar as it sounds, we have to learn grace. Last week, we talked about how the primary way that we learn grace from Jesus is by following Him. And in particular, the point that He keeps emphasizing throughout His teaching ministry is that following Him means taking up our cross. It means letting go of some of the status and success, power control, affection, esteem, securing survival that we get in the world. Letting go of that as we face suffering and pursue this goal of blessing others and loving others. And what I want to consider today about this phrase, learning the unforced rhythms of grace, is the word rhythm. When I hear this word rhythm, rhythm of grace, I think about a set of consistent practices that we build into our everyday life to help us get the life or achieve the life that we want. So, Kind of at the most basic, our, our daily rhythms include like bedtimes or taking an annual vacation or hygiene or exercise or regular work hours or a schedule. Like you have a rhythm of when you get up and go to work every day. This helps you achieve at work and do well. So we build these things into our life, into a rhythm so that we can get what we want. And what Jesus says when we're to learn the unforced rhythms of grace is that he's inviting us to find a rhythm for our spiritual life. We need a a rhythm, a set of consistent practices that help us achieve this goal of learning to live in grace. And for some, this may seem like a contradiction. Like, wait, 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 I have to do stuff to get grace? I have to earn grace? That's not what I'm saying. God loves us freely. What Jesus is emphasizing is that left to ourselves, you and I, we forget 
that we are loved by grace. We're so easily formed by the world as we go out and we start working with people or doing things. So easily, every day, we get reformed by the world. As humans, we're insecure. And without this regular reminder that we're loved by grace, we return to our old ways of being in the world, trying to prove ourselves and get people to like us. And what Paul is saying in our passage today, what Jesus is saying when he's invited to rhythm, is that grace, learning grace, dwelling in grace, is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. If you and I want to stay rooted in grace, we have to engage in practices for the soul. Many years ago, when I was living in Boston, I was invited to go on this one-day silent retreat at this retreat house. I was about an hour away from where I was living. And I remember we showed up there. There's about 10 people who signed up for this retreat. And there's one person who was organizing or overseeing and invited us to come to this place. And so before we went out on our silent retreat for the day, we were each going to have our individual rooms. We got together with him, and he kind of gave us a few pointers and helped us prepare for the day that we were going to spend in silence. And the only thing I remember from this little talk that he gave us was him emphasizing to us, it's okay if you take a nap. I recognize that a lot of you are really busy, your schedules are full, and then you show up at this retreat and you feel like you've got to do all this stuff and be super spiritual. But the reality is you're really tired. And when you get alone in your room and you try and spend a little bit of time in prayer, you're probably going to fall asleep. And that's okay. Napping is a practice by which we can learn grace. Don't always have to be productive. Don't always have to be accomplishing something. You can waste time by taking a nap and just move slowly with God for the day. That may not be immediately apparent about the sort of thing that Paul is talking about when he says, I beat my body. You may not think, oh, I beat my body. That means take a nap. But truth is, be told, taking a nap is hard for some of us. Even fewer of us maybe are willing to take an entire day off. It seems even more wasteful than a nap and go to a retreat house and sit in silence in a room alone. The vast majority of people in the world, I imagine, it's probably easier. If you, you gave people two days, you can get up and Get a workout in and then go to work and then come home and do what you need to do. And that, that's one day. And the other day is go to a room and sit in silence for 14 hours and do nothing. I think the vast majority of people would find the sitting in a room in silence doing nothing harder than working hard throughout the day. For those of us who are addicted to doing and achieving, sitting in silence and intentionally doing nothing can actually feel like a challenging workout. Especially when you can't post on social media about some spiritually heroic act that you're doing, where there's nobody around to see you doing it. You're just there in silence, doing nothing. In the same way that I've been struggling to get back in the pool, some of these practices of the soul can feel awkward 
and unnatural when we first start practicing them. Which is why Paul's emphasis is is not how great practicing is or or how great and fun and and good-feeling training is. His focus is on the prize. His focus is on what you and I get out of training. In our passage, he says, run or train spiritually so that you get the prize. And he's comparing the kind of the Olympic athlete. He's going for the crown that they would put on their heads after winning the race, and they'd pray through the people and everybody, this sense of like glory at achieving your goal. Paul's saying in the same way, focus on the prize when you're engaged in your spiritual training. So I wonder, as you think about like what spiritual practices and, and spiritual rhythms you engage in, what is the prize that motivates you? If I were to come to you and I were to say, hey, I'm going to do this um, one-day silent retreat at a retreat house, and you were to think, should I go to that? What is the prize that you would hope to attain that would motivate you to go and engage in a practice like that? What's the prize? of our training and our spiritual exercises. In our passage, Paul's a little opaque. He just says, run so that you get the prize. He says, don't you know all runners run to get a prize? Well, you train in your spiritual life so that you get the prize. But he doesn't really name the prize in our passage. But in another passage where he's much more personal, he names what this prize is for him. Philippians 3, 7 to 14, we read this. Someone else thinks they have any reason to put confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
the prize for Paul is intimate knowledge of Jesus. It's not knowledge about Jesus. It's relational knowledge. He knows Jesus, who is present to him. Not that he's fully taken hold of this. Not that he's face to face in heaven with Jesus. But he knows Jesus and he's taking hold of it now. This is the prize for Paul. This intimate, personal, relational knowledge of Jesus with him. Now. And this prize, as Paul tells his story, has replaced the former prize that motivated everything that Paul did before he met Jesus. Prior to knowing Jesus, Paul's prize was, in a word, just becoming great. He shares his personal story here. Formerly in his life, the prize that motivated him was all this self-perfection, beating others, winning at life, becoming the greatest. And he lists all that he achieved. And as we read this, we think, oh, you know, this doesn't resonate because it's not the stuff that tempts us to become great. But it's sort of the equivalent of having a pimped out LinkedIn profile. He's basically saying, I went to the best, you get the best university, then you got the best company, and then you got the awards and the honors underneath there. It's all the stuff that makes you great. Paul had all that. He was the best. And I mean, for, for you, if having a great LinkedIn profile doesn't do it for you, maybe it's something else. You know, having your kids' achievements, performing at school or on the court or on the ice rink. Or maybe it's something else deeper. Power and control. Affection and esteem. Status in front of your peers. Financial security. Well, what Paul recognized is that his whole life was oriented around this one guiding principle. How do I become great? Better than others. Win. And even though in some sense he achieved it, became the best at what he was striving for, he realized that he's like empty on the inside. And the fruit that was coming out was the fruit of like anger, jealousy, wrath. He was literally murdering people, violent he was, until he met Jesus. And in Jesus, he discovers how much he is loved by grace. Again, he's not learning about Jesus. He has this personal experience where he becomes intimately connected to Jesus, where he knows Jesus in his spiritual life at this depth. And as he starts to experience this intimate, relational Reality, being in relationship through the presence of the Spirit with Jesus, his life starts to change. And the, the result is that he starts to have joy and peace and kindness and humility and gentleness and love. And the more he makes the goal of his life intimate relational knowledge of Jesus, the better his life becomes. Even if that means he's got to let go of some of those things that made him great. Even if it means his own diminishment, where he talks about suffering. So now the new prize 
the thing that animates all his spiritual practices is this goal, simply to know Jesus. And so he organizes his whole life around this primary purpose to know Jesus. And he builds rhythms into his life so that he can stay connected to Jesus and rooted in grace. He knows the prize is elusive. You now are constantly being reformed by the world. Which tells us we need to become great by gaining some worldly status, getting the right people to like us, belonging to the right groups, having an identity that's impressive or valuable in the eyes of others. So we have to do the same thing Paul did, to keep our eyes on the prize, this intimate knowledge of Jesus, and then build rhythms and practices into our lives so that we stay connected to Jesus. And so part of what we're doing as we rebrand and relaunch is, is reminding ourselves and redefining who New City is and why we exist. And this is why we exist. We exist to be this sort of place where people can engage in these rhythms and practices together that help us stay connected to Jesus. I kind of see this on two levels. There's, there's kind of the first level. There's some practices that we do individually on our own that are helpful to, to know that we're a part of this community. We're all doing it together. My wife, I asked for her permission to share this. Uh, when she wants to lose weight, she, she does all the exercising at home, especially during COVID, you know, she, but she likes to do it as a part of a group. So she's a part of this Facebook group where they post, um, they call them sweaty selfies after they work out and it's sort of their way of staying accountable together that they're exercising together. And this other group, Pam Ladies, they'll do like Zoom calls or they'll get together outside and exercise. And everybody's kind of doing their own individual workout rhythms, but because they're doing it together, it helps, it just helps keep you accountable and keep you going. And New City is kind of like that. We're all in this where we have our own personal rhythms but we're in it together. We're all doing this together. We're, in this, we're individually pursuing the same goal together, and it's, it's good to know that we're all in the same pursuit together. That's sort of the first way that this is why New City exists. The second way is that we, in addition to just sort of being a community that we can be in it together and practice our individual practices, we also are a place where we're offering practices, like a worship service is a formation experience where you and I can worship God and connect to Jesus and be reformed around this primary reality that God loves us because of absolutely nothing that we have done. He just loves you. Soul food, when it's not COVID, where we eat together, we live out this reality of being this new people of God formed and chosen by grace as we break bread together. Giving is a formation exercise. Serving and volunteering does this. Bible study, centering prayer groups, spiritual direction, communion and baptism, lock-ins for youth group, retreats that we take, small groups. These are all practices. So our church community is, in a sense, a gym for the soul, where you come and you can do different workouts to help reconnect your soul to grace. And they're not these extraordinary acts of effort. Sometimes it's as passive as taking a nap and realizing there is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. 
He already loves us more than we know. So we do this. So one of the things, one of the ways that we encourage people to live this life of spiritual rhythms is encourage everyone to have rule of life, a rule of life. Every late summer, if you're a member, you had to do this as a part of the membership class. And then every year around August or September, we have a day where I'll preach a sermon. I'll encourage everybody to update your rule of life. And if you haven't heard me talk about this before, a rule of life first came into kind of common parlance by Benedict of Nursia, who founded the Benedictine monasteries. And the word rule literally comes from a Latin word for trellis, which is like a structure that vines grow up. And the idea that a rule of life is like that. It's a structure that helps things grow up in their intended goal or direction, without which, you know, the vines just sprawl out on the ground and don't get the sunlight, get trampled underfoot. So a personal rule of life does the same thing. It's just a simple plan simple rhythms that you and I write out in advance so that we can make sure that we achieve the goal towards which we want our spiritual lives to be ordered and framed and structured around. And we encourage you to update your rule of life every year because life changes like a pandemic happens. And the rhythms you had a year ago don't work anymore. I like to go on a quarterly retreat up to St. John's Abbey Guest House. Well, it's closed because of COVID. So I have to reframe my rule of life. If you had a new baby or you've recently moved or you've switched jobs or switched hours, this is a good time to pause, say, how do my rhythms change in the new season of life that I'm in to help me stay connected to Jesus now so that I keep my life rooted on the foundation of grace? Same is true for a season of life. Some people, maybe if you're in the early stages of discovering this relationship with Jesus, you'll have certain rhythms and practices you engage in. Other people are in a season of loss or suffering, a a sort of dying. Different practices work when you're in that season of life. Some of you may be in a season of transition. So we discern what season we're in spiritually. We discern circumstances that are changing our life, and we're regularly reevaluating what rhythms do I realistically need now to help me achieve the prize of knowing Jesus? So this week, take out your rule of life if you've already written one, or start one for the first time if you haven't, and say, what do I need to do? Grace is not opposed to effort. What practices, what rhythms do you need to engage in to help you stay connected to Jesus? I'm going to send out a link um, with some resources this week. Uh, it's a link on our web to our, a page on our website where there's rule of life resources and kind of give basic structures if you want some tools to help you think this through. But if you are serious about wanting to live a life of grace, You have to be intentional about your rhythms. I encourage you, please take some time this week to consider what rhythms you need to engage in to stay connected to Jesus and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Let's pray. Gracious God, we so easily forget your love for us.
this moment, by your Spirit, draw our attention to an invitation to a practice we need to renew, or a new practice we need to try. Lord, we love you. We need to remember your love for us. Show us, God, how we can take simple steps to be reminded of this love by connecting to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.